0: Welcome to Interviews. Being an entrepreneur is the toughest job ever. There are no practical guidelines. So I created this podcast to help crack the entrepreneurship code. Join me every week as I invite entrepreneurs to share their stories, the practical tips and lessons they've learned along the way. Don't be the main bottleneck in your business. Subscribe now. Interviews is brought to you by Social Prize, a marketing and communication agency operating remotely since 2005. Social Prize specializes in digital technologies and communication, web development, e-commerce, remote working, coaching, training, growth hacking, log on their website, socialprize.me. Hi, thank you for listening. Today, I'm with Christian Seal, the co-owner of Vitruvia, a wellness recovery and performance platform focused on tissue repair to transform lives. Vitruvia's team helps their clients restore their quality of life via the in-depth tissue analysis called SCARMAP and breakthrough relief procedure to repair and restore tissue. Christian is not a novice entrepreneur, he's invested in 35 companies, and if I'm correct, they're all in the healthcare sector, and exited four so far. His life's mission is to create a more efficient, accessible, and prevention-focused healthcare system. Hi, Christian. Thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So let's start. Uh, as I mentioned, I mean you dedicated your life to healthcare so far so tell us tell us a little bit about that and your journey as an entrepreneur.
1: be delighted to uh, so I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, my dad owns a small business, uh, a lumber company and so I saw you know the amazing parts of having the freedom and autonomy of uh, being a small business owner, but I also saw the hardships as well uh, and my mom was a a uh, personal trainer, had a very large TV show, competed uh, in triathlons and fitness. And so health and wellness has always been a big part of my life, as has entrepreneurship. And I took a very linear path at first, um, you know, went to undergrad, uh, did two summers at Goldman Sachs in 07 and 08. Uh, the world fell apart. And I said to myself, you know, what's the furthest thing from Goldman Sachs? Uh, and so I applied for a Fulbright scholarship, uh, which is the U.S. government um, will pay uh, you to go to an- another country to do research and teach English, um, and I ended up in Barranquilla Colombia if you 're familiar with the pop star Sha- shakira it 's where she 's from. Mm. Uh, I spent uh, ten months there I ended up spending four years in Latin America. We built a certification for the energy industry. Uh, when I was in Colombia, um, probably my second or third month, I was hospitalized with two parasites. I had a temperature of one hundred and four. Uh, you know, I don't know what that is in, in Celsius, but in Fahrenheit, that's, you know, probably closest you can get to dying. Yeah. Um, anyway, when I was discharged, I got a bill for $53. And I didn't really think anything of it. But wow. if you know, anything about the US healthcare system, uh, you know, that's a pretty low bill. Uh, and yeah. fast forward four years, um, I dislocated my pinky when I was in New York, I go to the ER, a plastic surgeon comes. I don't know why I needed a plastic surgeon, but a month later I got a bill for
0: $17,300. <laughs> really?
1: Yeah, uh, it was pretty funny. They, uh, they sent me up to, after the ER vi- visit, they sent me up a week later to get a splint for the pinky um, yeah. at a plastic surgeon's office. I don't know why I need a plastic surgeon, but I think that was part of the reason why the bill was so high. Uh, but I tell you that because that was kind of my first strike, if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of there's something really wrong with the U.S. healthcare system. Uh, The second strike, if you will, not as funny, was my dad uh, walked into a very reputable hospital for routine cataract surgery, and now he's blind in one eye because of a transcription error. Uh, He basically, he got an infection that happens to one in 10,000 people. Uh, He said, I can't see light, which means you're supposed to have an emergency surgery. Uh, They sent him home because they wrote it down incorrectly. His eye ate himself, and it's really transformed his life. And, uh, you know, the third thing, which, again, wasn't that funny, was my grandmother for, call it two years, had been asking for these diagnostic tests for her sides. Um, and because of how insurance works and she didn't have a great plan, she didn't get them. By the time she did, she was stage four ovarian cancer um, and passed away shortly thereafter. So I really kind of took it upon myself. I think the universe works in brilliant ways to tell you what you're supposed to do. And I said, you know, I have this entrepreneurial bone in my body. I, you know, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. I'm going to devote my life to helping to transform the, uh, the health and lives of you know as many people as I can
0: Wow! so so transforming health and, and life that's that's really that's a that has become your passion
1: yeah it's yeah. uh you know feel, it doesn't feel like work a lot of times you know when you're up yeah. like at three in the morning and you're doing stuff that frankly you don't really want to do you kind of you need that passion you need that purpose to gra- ground you
0: and why then taking the um, tell us a little bit more about why taking the entrepreneurship journey
1: Yeah, so I think a few things. Uh, One, I learned I was a pretty shit shitty employee at Goldman (laughs) Sachs. Okay, (laughs) I don't know that um, I I knew how to. uh, If uh, to me, it's like Occam's Razor, like the path of least resistance. And so when you have to deal with like bureaucracy and different things, it doesn't make that sense to me. It's like if there's a problem, go ahead and solve it. Um, So that's where you know I kind of my journey entrepreneurship is. I'll say my first four years of entrepreneurship, which was. You know, I was 22 to 26 when I was in Latin America. We built this uh, not-for-profit for for the energy, mining, and renewable energy. I made every mistake you could ever make as an entrepreneur. Um, And, you know, gratefully, we had some backers that, you know, I think believed in the idea. But that really helped me um, as I was thinking about, you know, what I do on the investing side. And then with Petruvia is to learn from all the mistakes. There's something I really love, which is uh, they call the dumb tax. And it's like, we all pay this dumb tax, which is experience, but, uh, you know, if you can kind of think three or four steps beforehand to be thoughtful about your actions, perhaps you can avoid the dumb tax. I can't say I have, but, um, you know, I've paid my fair share
0: with experience. And so you uh, invested in 35 companies. Were you, was that as an angel investor, were you at all involved in uh, management and, and building those companies?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I invested in seven as an angel and then 28 through a investment fund, uh, and the, we've sold seven of them now, um, you know, it's an update from uh, the four that you had mentioned, which Mm -hmm. is great. And, uh, you know, one thing I'd say I really prided myself on with the businesses were the lifeblood of business are customers. And so, you know, a lot of early stage entrepreneurs, in my experience, at least in the U.S., are very excited about raising early stage capital and they're getting to the Series C round, the Series A, the Series B. I took a different approach where I said, you know, let's not really focus on trying to get you fundraised after we give you money. Let's focus on getting you as many customers as possible, getting to profitability um, as soon as possible. And it kind of flipped the venture model on its head a little bit. Uh, And how I was able to do that was, built a very large network of healthcare customers. So uh, Mm. large provider systems, large insurance companies, uh, large employers, and basically would say, hey, tell me your problems, your pain points, and I'll go literally across the world to find best in breed solutions. And the only thing I ask of you is when I bring something to you, you evaluate it as a customer. And so that really helped me on two fronts, helped me with the diligence of, you know, is this really solving a pain point? Is there a business model here? And then more importantly, it helped our entrepreneurs get customers. Um, and so it was a win-win, it, you know, it de-risked the investment and then the entrepreneur gets its first, second, third, fourth customer. So was I involved in building, you know, the companies? I wasn't on the management necessarily, but you know, very much kind of an extension um, of sales and BD.
0: Right. And with Vitruvia is different, right? You're, you're involved like in the day-to-day operations of, of the company. So answer my question, what, what do you prefer? being being an angel investor or you know helping other companies grow or you know having your own and your own company and be really like dedicated to it
1: for me the answer is both and i'll i know it's a cop-out but i'll tell you why i think that there's stages of companies and i I think i'm very good at zero to one um Mm -hmm. you know i kind of see things I, i was just saying a b c d always be connecting the dots you know i really kind of Um, pride myself on that. And so I think I can get a business to the stage where it can go from one to a hundred. I don't know that I'm the person that really takes businesses from one to a hundred. So the investment portfolio allows me to kind of help once we have a real management team in place, but I love starting from zero and getting us to one.
0: Right. And then pass the baby to someone else. Yeah. And
1: you know, continue to be involved in the baby, just be uh realistic that you know uh stages of c- companies re- require a different type of personnel i mean it's it's pretty few far in between the people that start businesses are the ones that you know take it all the way to acquisition but it does happen
0: yeah. and what other things have you discovered about yourself um being an entrepreneur
1: i think at first it was uh you know a very kind of uh, dark kind of self-doubting you know like roller coaster ride if you will so uh, it's amazing how time you know you kind of look back on a week and you're like wow I had all those emotions in 47 seconds
0: <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> and uh, you know one thing I'm still working on I can't say I'm perfect in any way shape or form it's just like learning not to react to things I think in my first entrepreneurial journey if an email came in and it was from you know, an investor or a customer or what have you, like my world could crumble in two seconds or mm. it could be the best thing in the world. Uh, and so I guess I've learned a lot about, uh, you know, just being confident in the fact that you can do this and, uh, you know, not every single little thing that kind of comes in, one has to be responded to, or two has to take you in this downward spiral.
0: Mm. When we uh prepared the uh this uh interview together uh you mentioned that you also learn about allowing things to flow as opposed to breaking through walls and you said power is better than force. Can you elaborate on that
1: yeah, and again, something i'm it's a daily practice for me, and you know I'd like to hope I've improved, but I'm not a perfect at it. I think there's this really interesting uh at least in kind of the books that I've read and the learnings that I've had is like entrepreneurs pride themselves on just like breaking through walls. It's like, you know, pushing the Sisyphean boulder up the hill, if you will. And I guess what i found is just for my own life, uh, I think most people can do that if they have enough grit and perseverance and there's something 100% to be said for that. However, I've found it a little easier as opposed to breaking through the wall Maybe just finding the chip, if you will, in the wall or the little side door Mm -hmm. and just easily going in as opposed to having to literally take all the force that you have to break it because at some point your energy really kind of starts to, you know, go down. And so if you use power, if you will, which is maybe, you know, thinking a little bit more or being a little bit more strategic or finding that little crack that you can open up and you can get to the same place, but you don't have to always be expending all your resources.
0: Does it also mean that you don't always have to give like hundred percent?
1: Yeah, I think there's really um, interesting, you know, empirical research about that. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with the book Essentialism. Uh, there's another one called Effortless, which is, uh, you know, we always think that more effort results in more results, and you know, I think mm. we know through economics, you know, the a, a, a diminishing law of returns, um, and so yeah, one thing I've really learned is rest and recharge is just paramount. I mean, I would do some pretty sadistic things during my first entrepreneurial journey where I'd sleep at the office, because if we didn't hit a deadline, like it was my way of punishing myself. But I mean, that doesn't really do anything for anyone, right? Mm. uh, And so I think, and I think it's happening more and more. But when I was starting my entrepreneurial journey, it was like, push, 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 push. I think you know, Arianna Huffington talks a lot about sleep. You know, there's a lot of other people that I think are realizing that uh, humans, you know, do really well at sports of energy and then recharge, Spurts of energy and recharge. So I'm trying to really implement that in um, the way that I do business as well.
0: That's an interesting topic that is close to my heart and which is something that I try to, to promote, you know, helping entrepreneurs to recharge and recover. So how do you do that practically?
1: Yeah, I have a really, I would say, um, mechanistic way of doing it in the morning. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll take my routine, and then I'll tell you what I do, you know, on the weekends and what have you. Uh, So I I wake up, I have like, two to three different meditations that I do. Um, One is inspired by this uh, idea of priming that uh, Tony Robbins Mm -hmm. teaches, which is, you know, you have three things that you give gratitude for, um, you let, you know, kind of light come into your body if you, you know, believe in something source energy or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then you have three things, three to thrive is what he calls it. Um, and then I add something else, which is like magic moments from the day before. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I've been on this abundance meditation um, kick by Deepak Chopra, but that sometimes changes. But anyway, so 20 to 30 minutes of meditation. Uh, and then I have a book called The Magic which is 28 days of gratitude. And uh, I literally just reread it. So I'll like pick a chapter and it's, I mean, the simplest stuff. So today is um, sprinkling magic dust gratitude on anybody that does anything for you. So an example, I wrote Peloton, you know, I'm sprinkling magic dust on my Peloton um, teacher, Mm -hmm. right? It's just this idea of just giving gratitude. And I I mean, I just say for myself uh, it's really, you know, just really kind of transformed my whole life. Um, And then I do journaling. Uh, and I really kind of think strategically and thoughtfully of like, what are the three things that I can do today to go ahead and move the needle? Um, And that time is like sacred. So the phone is on airplane mode. um, Mm -hmm. I don't check anything. And it's like, look, it takes a lot of time and it's deliberate. um, But for me, no matter what happened, I could be up till four in the morning, five in the morning, not get a lot of sleep, like that really recharges me. Uh, And then on the weekend, I try to really put my phone on airplane mode and do some type of digital detox, which is tougher and tougher when you don't have a car you use uber and you know you're just really dependent on it for like life-related things
0: oh wow, very nice well i hope you think about me today or tomorrow when you do your meditation tell <laughs>
1: <think
0: of that. laughs> yeah. us a little bit now about uh, vitruvia where do you want to take that business to
1: Sure. Uh, so maybe just a little bit of context would be helpful for it. Uh, so I met my partner in it. Who's an anesthesiologist, um, who's a dear friend, uh, Dr. Gotham six years ago, uh, through the CEO of the Miami children's hospital and, I uh, invested in his last business, which we sold earlier this year. Uh, we found out we had the same birthday, which is a really kind of like trippy, um, way of, I think the universe working in a magical way. Um, and so he said, you know, four years ago, he said, Hey, I found this really interesting way to transform tissue from the inside out. And I had no idea what that had meant, but I had sprained both my wrists. Uh, and you know, I do what most people probably do is they go to the the best person that they can find. And the standard of care in medicine is to put braces on you and just immobilize you. And mm-hmm. what we've learned is immobilization is really that uh for a variety of reasons. I mean, if you have a broken bone or something, that's different. But for a sprain, uh, you know, you're just laying down more soft tissue and scarred tissue. Uh and so Abi, I call him, uh, is, you know, he said, Look, I'll, I'll treat you. And uh I didn't really know what I was getting into. I was a little scared to be honest. Uh, you know, four days pass, my wrists are all bruised up. I'm like, what did I do to myself? but day five I'm doing push-ups, And I was like, wow. I mean, because this was like two and a half months and I was doing push-ups on my knuckles and I wasn't able to bend my wrist. Uh, and so, I, you know, you have intuition and kind of feel stuff, um, especially pattern recognition as an investor. And I was like, this is something that could transform the way that we treat pain and lack of mobility. Uh, and so, you know, we took basically a year to prove to ourselves that we weren't crazy, uh, mm. trying to treat anybody and everybody that would, um, you know, receive us and then you know year two we started to treat some really kind of high profile athletes um, and some other folks and so to answer your question in terms of where we want to take this uh, one there are so many people that are suffering from chronic pain there are so many people that you know aren't able to move i truly believe as humans like we're meant to move we're not supposed to sit all day we're not supposed to be trapped in our bodies and so vitruvia for me represents the future of healing and what i really wanted to represent is you know to give people that are suffering in pain or unable to move that the way that they were as a child you know an opportunity to do so
0: how big is the, the company today
1: um, in terms of uh employee, people. yeah people. Um, so we have nine people currently uh you know we're in the process of really expanding um we'll do it in two different ways um we will we built you know, a way to intervene with the soft tissue in a really interesting way. We built software around that. We built a training program. And so we'll be training other practitioners in this technique um, and then also expanding our own presence.
0: Right. And what sort of uh, leader are you?
1: I think this idea of like hard and soft power is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think early in my career, uh, you know, I would, if as the co-founder or CEO of a business, you know, you'd use that as kind of like asking people to do things and I think I realized really quickly that like you can have a name in terms of your title but that really doesn't work um, necessarily so I would say you know soft kind of leadership is something that I um, like a lot more which is like being in the background uh, you know empowering other people uh, really kind of learning about who they are as people first and foremost and realizing that you know they're a whole person and it's not just you know a, a team member if you will. Um, and so you know, I, I typically get pretty close to the people that um, I work with, because I think if, you know, they can be happy in their whole entire lives, uh, you know, they're they're doing a lot more for for the business as well.
0: Yeah, it's not only about money,
1: <laughs> especially in this day and age. I mean, it might have been pre like ability to work remotely but in the freelance economy and in a place that you know i think people understand that it's not what it was 20 years ago Mm -hmm. you know you can't uh you really have to invest in your people it was interesting i was at dinner last night i was talking to a guy who sold six companies one to slack pre-ipo you know amazing software developer and he was saying he sold one of his businesses to um you know a family office um and they described people as Uh, lunch trays so orange and black and he was like you know i just i can't do this it's like it's not Mm -hmm. really like and so it's interesting especially on the investor side uh and especially in healthcare. i sometimes cringe when i hear some stuff because you know insurance companies will say something like we manage you know xyz lives or like it's you know it's all this depersonalization sometimes and uh you know for me that's I don't want to have a business like that you know i think every person really really does matter
0: interesting depersonalization while all businesses are made of people and without people there wouldn't there wouldn't be any business
1: <laughs> somebody really smarter than me said once that you know the most important asset is not on the balance sheet and that's you know the human capital
0: yeah yeah indeed uh, let's go back to your experience as an entrepreneur investor uh, so you've 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 been around a lot of uh, uh, startup teams and other entrepreneurs. What are the common um, bad patterns you've seen?
1: So I've been at this for let's call it twelve years formally, and then maybe sixteen informally. Uh, one thing I really truly believe at this point is that a business lives and dies at the mindset of its leader and its you know, CEO and an entrepreneur. Uh, and so one bad pattern I see is if the psychology of the founder the entrepreneur or the CEO that's leading the business um, is not a positive one or is not one that, you know, is thinking things are going to be successful, that, that can have a massive, uh, you know, influence on the business. And so I think if the mind isn't right in the business, it's very difficult to get right. So that would be one, uh, you know, pattern I've seen. I think another one um, is, running enthusiastically in the wrong direction sometimes. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh,
0: I like the way you put it.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. Like, you know, and I, I say this in jest, because look, I've done it too, but you know, you, because you get kind of so focused and yeah. you're so tied up in like this, minute kind of thing that if you rose up 30,000 feet and look down, you're like, that just doesn't matter. And so, and I have entrepreneurs telling me stuff, you know, you, kind of smiling and say, yes. And then you're just like, but does that matter? And it's like, you know, their eyes kind of just like, yeah, I've spent a month on it. Of course it matters. And you're like, well, you know, did it get you a customer? No. is uh, it improved your product? No. Uh, is it helping with your financing? No. So they're like, why are you doing it? You know? And so mm-hmm. I, I guess it's, we get so caught up and I'm including myself in this in kind of our day-to-day and like what's important and what's not. And if we don't have a mirror and that could be a coach, it could be a board, it could be, uh, you know, your team that kind of keep you honest of like, why are we doing this? And keep asking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Because, you know, time, particularly in early stage startups are just so important. And so if you have a month where you're running enthusiastically in the wrong direction, you know, that could be extremely problematic.
0: Mm. Anything else?
1: I think, uh, and this is very uh, US focused comment, you know, I'm sure it's somewhere else, but there is this really weird kind of badge of honor of raising money. And
0: It's it's everywhere.
1: (laughs) I've never understood that when I meet an entrepreneur, their first or second comment to me is how much money they raise. And, you know, I I think in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, great. And so what, but you know, what I asked them is like, you know, one, do you need that money to get to where you want? And a lot of times the answer is no. And then, you know, the focus is so much on this, hamster wheel of steed series a series b series c series d that they forget about the most important thing many times which is servicing customers and so I, I just you know one kind of thing that really perturbs me a lot is this idea that you have to raise money to build a business and i think the history of humanity has shown that's not true um eric paley has a great two articles in TechCrunch um, talking about you know, venture capital on steroids or something, which he shows empirically that companies that raise less money do better and the founders economically do way better. Like there's something wrong in my view of overcapitalizing businesses because money doesn't solve problems. It just exacerbates them.
0: Yeah, but isn't it then the, the thought a little bit of the VCs too? Because my impression is that the VCs have created, have transformed startups as commodities. You know, and they shop startups like you would shop uh, your communities at the grocery store.
1: Yeah, look, I think you have to look at incentives, right? So it's like I'm playing with a relatively small capital base in comparison to someone like uh, Sequoia, just to use them as an example. So Sequoia to invest a million dollars at a $20 million pre-money valuation uh, for a business that is literally a PowerPoint doesn't really matter for them, right? They're an option Mm. call. For me with, you know, limited LP base, and, you know, I'm really focused on return profiles, as is everyone, but, you know, they've got tens of billions of dollars, and, you know, that's not my capital base. It's meaningful for me to put in a million dollars, let's say, into a business at $20 million pre, because, uh, you know, that's a million that I could have put into a company that has revenue profitable at a much lower price point. So I think, to your point, the incentive structures, um, but a lot of times, these are just, like, option calls, especially, in a early round, right? In the seed round, you're going to throw in X because if it becomes Uber, you want the first right of refusal and you want to take as much of that business as you can.
0: Next question. What are you the most proud of?
1: Uh, I would say the fact that I live in a city that I love and I have a life that I'm, you know, I wake up every morning and I I really like want to engage with. I made a deliberate decision to move to Miami in November of 2015 uh, and every single person in the entrepreneurship and venture capital world in Boston, where I was coming from, you know, thought I was absolutely crazy. And so, uh, you know, I wake up every morning, I overlook the water, you know, it's nice outside There's nature. It's like, I mean, I just, I'm so grateful to live where I live. And then the fact that like I can one invest in people's dreams and then from an operating standpoint, you know, people come in and look, I'm not the one doing the work in terms of, you know, the, the procedure, but you know, I've started the business and you know, I bring in a lot of the clients many times. It's a very gratifying feeling. I'll give you an example. My mom, um, who's a triathlete, you know, she's been having shoulder issues for a very long time and she was told to have a total shoulder replacement, which is a pretty serious thing, especially at the age of you know, 65. And, uh, anyway, we treated her and she texted me yesterday. She goes, I can swim for the first time in like two years. So, I mean, one, it's my mom. So, I mean, obviously, you know, it's very emotive, but when other people text us, stuff like that as well, I mean, it's a, it's such a gratifying feeling. So I think, you know, place for me is super important, but then also what I'm doing um, is really important as well.
0: So your mom is 65 and she still does triathlon.
1: So she lives on uh, Mammoth Mountain, which is a ski mountain in California, and uh, you know she skis. I don't know. She said she skied like maybe 220 days last year. I mean, she's definitely a badass. Uh, I'm like <laughs> wedging, and she's jumping off cliffs with like no helmet. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow, that must be very inspiring and scary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you would have done uh, differently or any regrets?
1: I I think, you know, regrets are hard just because uh, they put you in the place that you're, I think, supposed to be and you learn from. Hmm. You know, one thing I would have liked to been able to do earlier in my entrepreneurial career was, you know, kind of not push that Sisyphecy boulder up the hill, right? Like if you're working that hard to push the thing up the hill, it's probably not right. And so I think I, because I was a competitive swimmer, I was a competitive athlete, you know, you're trained to push, 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 push. I think I spent a little too much time pushing. And I wish I had just kind of been like, you want to know what, this isn't working. Let's change it a little bit. And so, I, mm. you know, I wouldn't say that's a regret, but I, I wish I'd learned that lesson a little sooner because I think I'd probably have some less gray hair um, and a few less uh, ER v- visits.
0: <laughs> when, when did you learn the lesson? Is there, is there like a, a tipping point?
1: I think I'm still learning the lesson, but uh, right. I, I, I think, I, you know, I've had a few tipping points, but I think I was g- gifted this book um, three years ago called Ask and It's Given. And like, I, you know, I didn't really believe in this type of stuff. And I thought it was woo-woo and anything. And I, I just kept reading it, kept reading it. And it's this concept that like, when you ask, it's given all you have to do is let go and I don't think that means you're not supposed to like take action it doesn't mean you're not supposed to you know do things you can't just like sit on the couch all the time but what the epiphany or the lesson for me was take action from a place of inspiration don't take it from a place of I have to do this because again that's pushing this boulder up the hill and invariably it's just going to fall on you
0: Hmm. what is the one recommendation you would give to other entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs
1: One, uh, I have a lot. So give me one second to think about the one that would be most impactful. I would say embrace your vulnerability and everything's not okay. And that's okay. I think there is this, especially in a world of like, I don't really do a lot of social media, but in the social media world, everyone has to kind of be perfect. And especially in the investor community where you think, you know, you have to kind of put on this good face. I'll tell you the entrepreneurs that call me up and share what is going wrong. I one have just immense respect for, but two, they're a lot of times the one that are doing a lot better because not everything's perfect in business, particularly not in entrepreneurship. And so Mm -hmm. if you, be vulnerable about that amazing things happen. One, it's like a release for you. So you're a better operator, but then two, if your customers or your, your investors or your board, your advisors, if they know they might be able to help. I mean, the one thing that's so frustrating is entrepreneurs that don't communicate and then it's at the point of no return. You know, you can't help them anymore. And so I would say be vulnerable uh, is just such an amazing gift. And maybe that doesn't make sense if you're trying to raise money, for example. Um, and I get it, you know, you have to kind of be cautious of what you say when you say it. But uh, I just think vulnerability is something that can really uh, open up amazing things for entrepreneurs.
0: I I, I agree. Uh, and when you open up about it, you might even realize that you are not alone. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, I'm in this group called uh, Entrepreneurs Organization EO Forum, yeah. and that's been a really. I'm a moderator of of the group now, and you know it's a small group of five, but it's you know it's one of I'd say the most impactful things that I've done uh, in my life. And you know, there's many other groups out there, YPO and what have you, but like that kind of just board of peers, if you will, that can share the same experiences because the experience isn't unique to me or you or another entrepreneur. It's, you know, it's the human experience.
0: Thank you for sharing that. The coach in me is very pleased. (laughs) My show is called interviews cracking the entrepreneurship code. So have you cracked the code?
1: I think there's always more uh, codes to crack. I I think I've cracked some codes. Uh, I wouldn't be um, as arrogant to believe that I've cracked every code. And I think, you know, I don't think you ever do. I think it's, that's a beautiful thing about life. It's like, you know, it's this ladder, if you will. And you know, you get to one level and there's a next one after there. Um, A friend of mine always says that he wakes up in the morning and he sees his best self, like chasing, you know at the top of the mountain, if you will. And like kind of laughing at him to kind of keep going to Mm. Um, improve, and I always like that analogy because I, one thing I really uh, pride myself on and try to do is like just improve a nanometer every single day. Um, so I think you know it's it's cracking the code every single day.
0: Nice. How can people contact you?
1: Uh, so if they're interested in Vitruvia, um, really simple, uh, Vitruvia V I T R U V I A dot co. Uh, you know, if you happen to be in the U.S. or you want to fly in and learn about it. Um, I'm on, uh, LinkedIn's probably the easiest place to find me. Um, so Christian Seal, S-E-A-L-E. I'm um, pre- pre- pretty responsive there.
0: Great. Right. Thank you very much, Christian, for your time today.
1: Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day.
0: And thank you all uh, for listening. Follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram for extra tips and knowledge about entrepreneurship. See you next time. Bye-bye.